Welcome to another episode of the Triple F Podcast. Joining me today is a special guest, Alex from Cashflow Diaries. Alex is an avid real estate investor and an early financial freedom fighter. Alex, welcome to the show. What's up, Jay? Man, nice, nice to meet you. Like, well, I know we met before, but I just, I really wanted to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to come out on your show and do a podcast. Really excited about it. I think, uh, I think we have great stories, you and I, and and you know, the world should know about it. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. And I remember when I first caught hold of your your podcast that you did with uh, Bree Schmidt over at Turnkey Reviews, and I was like. Man, this guy sounds a lot like me. You know, he's he's so gung ho about real estate, and he, you know, he's acquiring all these rental properties. And when I, you know, visited your blog, I was like, you know, this is really cool because there actually are not that many real estate blogs out there. I know the Bigger Pockets forum is really popular, and that's a great place. You know, they kind of where all the real estate investors gravitate towards. But there really aren't that many financial independence blogs that, you know, real estate is kind of the, uh, the, the pathway t- or, or the ticket there. Um, there's, there are a lot of dividend investing kind of blogs and index investing. So when I stumbled upon yours, I was like, hey, this is, this is really cool. There, there's really not that much out there. And so much of what you say resonates with me. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. I mean, when I first got on the scene, you know, with the whole blogging and the financial independence, I mean, I knew, I mean, real estate investing was my background. That is my background. And that will be the reason why I retire early. And, you know, I did my research. I wanted to see who else was out there. And and I couldn't find more than a handful of other blogs that were talking about financial independence with real estate investing. You know, it's there's literally only four or five that I can think of that exist, you yeah. know, and they're all different in their own ways. And that's, that's one reason why, why, why I was happy, you know, to start that blog because before I did that, you know, I didn't have any experience with having an internet presence or just blogging or anything in general, but it, it's been a blessing in disguise and I'm really glad that I did it. That's awesome. Um, usually with the podcast, we like to start with the guests and ask them basically how they got started on the path to early five and what their background is. You know, I've listened to your podcast. I haven't really heard those details, so I'd be really, right. really glad to, to get into those details. Well, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, but when I was in my early to mid-20s, which wasn't too long ago, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, and I know everyone always says, "Oh, it was Rich Dad Poor Dad." Rich Dad Poor Dad is what got me on this road to independence. You know what? For me, that really was the case. I mean, I read that book, and it kind of just changed my perspective on life. You know, especially when it comes to finances and just my perception on how to live financially to get to a certain goal, a financial goal. And, and it, it was when I read that book that I decided, hey, I need to, I need to change. Something in my life needs to change. I, I want to make sure that I'm set in the future. How I'm going to do it, I don't know yet. But it really was that book that put me on this path. And from that point on, it was kind of just like researching and researching and talking to people and trying to figure out what you know options are out there for someone like me you know, to be able to get to financial independence and retire early. And all, all signs led to real estate. You know, there was you know, everyone I spoke to. Um, well, actually, most people that I spoke to had no clue how to answer that question. But everything I found 
internet was pointing me toward real estate. Um, the thing is about that is back then, you know, which is about 10 years ago, everything about real estate on the internet was about flipping houses. So that was the big thing to do. Oh, flip houses, flip houses, you know, keep doing that. You make a ton of money. So that was my first original plan was I wanted to flip a house, which I did sort of, you know, I bought a foreclosure. Um, I believe it was $80,000. It was here where I live. I'm, I live in Austin, Texas. So it was a house that I bought here and I sold it for $105,000 just a few weeks later via an owner finance. I got lucky. It wasn't like a real flip. It was just more like I bought this house. I cleaned it up. And I sold it via an owner of finance, so I, I, I generated a per, like a note, you know, like I'm the I'm the lender now. I have this note where I'm getting paid in cash flowing every month. That was kind of the first deal I ever had with real estate. From that point on, it was kind of like, okay, I can make money with real estate. How do I keep doing this? And it kind of just grew into a passion. And the more and more I did it, the more I realized, wait a minute, this is a great means to becoming financially independent. And I kind of just stuck with it. So now, you know, I have six investment properties, not including my my primary house, which one day actually will be a rental. So I have seven houses, and I, I just want to keep buying. It's tricky, you know. You need money, and, and you gotta you gotta make a lot of smart decisions. There's a lot of research involved. It's definitely not easy. Now I may make it sound easy in my blog, but it's not. So so far, it's been going good for me. And, and you know, one day I might 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 hit a roadblock, but hopefully I won't. Just got to be very very careful about how I play it. So your first deal, it was a, a success, and it got you kind of off to the races, and you know, it went smoothly. Was it just that deal alone that gave you the confidence to move forward, or did you kind of stumble upon, like you said, the internet and some forums, and maybe it was reading some other people's success stories where you're like, hey, you know, I'm doing kind of the same thing that, you know, these people are doing, I'm having success. And, you yeah. know, just to learn from other people like rich dad, poor dad, it's like, well, if he did it, I can kind of do it too. And, you know, I don't feel like it's this daunting of a task because there are so many people out there that, you know, are living the dream and creating this type of lifestyle for themselves. I know for myself, when I first started with real estate, um, you know, all around me, Nobody I knew owned more than one house, right? I mean, I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way. Most of the people you run across, your coworkers, everybody has their primary residence. If they have anything extra, maybe it's one rental, but nobody you know, out there that I knew had 10 rentals or something until I kind of spent more time on the internet and visited these forums and just heard all these stories. And that, for me, that gave me the confidence to kind of grow my portfolio. You know what, man? It's funny that you say that because you and I, we're lucky to live in this era where the internet exists and where we have the luxury of being able to research and meet people online that can open up your world like that because what happened to you is exactly what happened to me. I, I literally, out of everyone I spoke to, you know, my circle of friends, my circle of family, no one, no one owned more than one house. I mean, it was just like, it was a joke even trying to talk to about it with anyone that I personally knew. So everything that I have learned and all the motivation that I've had to pull the trigger and do what I'm doing has been strictly off reading stuff from the internet, no joke. It's fascinating how that works, right? I remember when I was working in 2009 timeframe and houses, you know, they were starting to get pretty cheap around 2010, 11, they were, you know, basically at the, at the bottom. 
and I had other coworkers. It wasn't just me. You know, we would have lunch, we would gather together, and you know, sometimes these kind of topics just pass up in you know normal conversation. And you you would always have the senior person who would just shoot the idea down to the young people, right? Like they'd just be like, "No, that's a yeah. terrible idea. My brother-in-law tried it. It was a dismal failure. You don't even want to think about it." And you know, me and like some of the younger guys, we'd look at each other and, and be like, "Well, obviously, if this guy was so successful with his investments, he wouldn't still be here at age, you know, sixty whatever." You know, just um, that's kind of the the impression I got was always, if you want to learn from somebody who has been successful with investing or real estate or anything, you have to go to the right sources. And exactly like you said, you know, this day and age, this era with the internet and the forums and all these networks you can form, you can find that so easily. Oh, absolutely, man. I have a funny story about that. Just, true story, literally two weeks ago, I went to a company happy hour where I met a gentleman. He was probably in his early 60s, you know, and, and I found out that he was a commercial real estate broker. And I was like, oh, real estate. Yeah, you know, I love real estate, you know, and we, we kind of got into it and I, I told him what I was doing. I was like, hey, you know, yeah, I own four properties in, in different states. And I mean, honestly, the guy looked at me like I was crazy. He could not believe what I was saying. And he actually had the audacity to call me a slumlord. <laughs> it's so I far. I was shocked. I was just like, okay, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time with this guy. Like, I don't need to explain myself to him. But clearly, like, there's a certain level of ignorance that you have to have in, in order to not see the bigger picture of what you can do out there, you know, and, and learn new things on how to be successful in different ways. So when it comes to buying properties out of state, you know, it's it's not something that everyone's doing. You know, like, like I said earlier, I don't know anyone in my circle of family or friends that are doing it, but hey, I'm doing it, I'm doing it successfully, and I'm going to keep doing it because I know that now that I know what I'm doing, I'm going to be able to become financially independent from it and it doesn't necessarily have to be out of state i mean the only reason why i'm going out of state is because where i live i just can't find any cash flowing properties kind of like you right you know you live in the bay area and it would be it would be a nightmare to even try and find a decent property out there so it's, it's just that situation you know you're going to meet a lot of people out there that are going to have doubts and they're going to be negative about it but you just got to you just got to ignore those people and just go with your gut, go with your heart. Definitely. And that's um, something that's very interesting and unique about real estate. I always find it interesting when I'm writing a blog post and I have to be very careful with my wording because it's very hard to stereotype and generalize these things because real estate is so local. So, you know, I, I know I complain a lot about expensive real estate, but, you know, I always have to be cognizant. This only really applies to certain markets like Austin or San Francisco, Seattle, New York City, Boston, it, it doesn't happen everywhere across the country. So, you know, when I ramble about how real estate is just so expensive and there's no cash flow and the numbers don't work, this isn't going to be something that applies, uh, you know, nationwide or, or even worldwide. And because of... Yeah, I mean, I... No, go ahead. I, I was going to... Well, I was going to say um, it's actually probably the majority of the United States is in a different situation where it's not expensive. Definitely. And just because real estate has gone up, you know, 20, 30 or 40 percent in Austin or something, it doesn't mean that has applied elsewhere. And, you know, when you're taking cheaper properties, even if you, you know, if they appreciate 20 percent, if 
20% off a million is a lot of money, but 20% off 70,000, that's a kind of a different story. So with, yeah. with that said, I'm totally, I, I feel your strategy. I, I completely understand it. It's the exact same thing I did when I went out of state. It was, you know, in my local market, this doesn't work, but you know, there are still opportunities outside. So if I'm going to do this, um, I should, well, first off, I should get educated. I should figure out the markets and all that. But the, the most important thing is not to be intimidated by it. And if you if you want to learn about it, yeah. you should network with people who have done it. So tell us how you got started well, um, with out-of-state properties. Well, I kind of just, you know, it, it got to the point where I was, I was buying properties here in Austin. And I was trying to buy my fourth property. And it, I literally spent about eight eight months looking for a property. I had I submitted about fifteen different bids on different houses trying to acquire properties, and every single one of them just kept getting outbid. Like it, it just it basically came to the point where I just could not find anything in my local market. And at this point, I had never even considered going out of state. Was was cash flow always your your, your target? when you were looking for these rental properties or did appreciation play into the mix at all? Cash flow has always been a target. And that's that's just what I learned off of Rich Dad Poor Dad. I mean it was just, cash flow is where it's at. You know, passive income, that's that's a great way to retire. It's a different way to retire. You know, everyone's so used to this retirement strategy of building up a huge nest egg and then at a certain age you start using that money and it just keeps dwindling down but I, I didn't like that strategy you know i wanted to do go the passive income route where i can just keep getting paid every month until the day i die you know so i knew from the get-go that it was cash flow that i was looking for you know i i always it, it mystified me when i was first you know getting when i first got my first job and i was in the workforce and you're listening to all these kind of they, they, they actually made me watch some like HR seminars and all this stuff about, you know, you're a new employee. Welcome to the corporate world. Uh, this is how you save money. And I was always left scratching my head like you want me to accumulate all this money and I can't touch it until 59 and a half or 65 or something. And then, you know, I, I have the remainder of my life to enjoy. And when I stumbled upon Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the whole methodology of accumulating cash flow, I was like, this method is so much better. You're telling me I can have cash flow today and forever and ever after. So why not, you know, bring this, uh, m make this whole process so much easier for yourself and start accumulating cash flow immediately today? Why delay the gratification until, you know, your your golden exactly. years? Yeah, and I mean, in the, when you look at the grand scheme of things, I mean, that's kind of a new strategy. You know, that that just wasn't the way it was back then. But I think nowadays more and more people are, are starting to lean toward that strategy for financial independence. I mean, back then it wasn't even called financial independence. It was just the word retirement was the word that put you in that situation. Now it kind of feels like the word retirement is going away and it's being replaced with financial independence, you know, and, and that financial independence can be built the best with passive income. That's how I see it, you know. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it's kind of funny. I would just imagine back then if somebody retired early or quit their job, I mean, I just imagine it being this really taboo kind of thing where you're kind of shunned from the crowds and nobody really wants to associate with you because you're kind of this outcast. But in today's world, it's kind of 
um, you know, it's it's actually I, I don't know maybe even a status symbol like oh that guy retired early you know he reached financial independence that's that that's something worth achieving even. Yeah, and I mean I, I personally don't like the word retirement because when I hear the word retirement and I kind of I kind of feel like oh you know now you're not doing anything in life. It's you're completely funny. Done. It's funny and, how people. That's like, not how I see. It's funny how people like to stereotype things, right? It's like one minute you're this hardworking guy, you work your tail off to build up this portfolio, to acquire all these assets. So when you finally reach financial independence, it's like they expect you to flip this light switch and now you're the laziest guy in the world. You don't even want to get out of bed and, <laughs> and do nothing, right? Exactly. And that's not how I picture my financial independence. When I reach that point, I mean, I guarantee you, I'm not going to just be sitting around a house. I'm actually going to be doing things. What it really comes down to is I'm not going to be working for anyone and I'm going to be doing everything on my own terms. And that to me is financial independence. That to me is retirement. It's interesting how that works as well. All the people that I know who have reached early FI, they are actually working harder than they ever have before. But now they enjoy every single second of it because it's on their terms. Exactly. And that's great. That's what I want. I mean, if I end up working more than so be it as long as i'm happy and don't have anybody to look up to or answer to then i'm, I'm exactly the position i want to be and that's actually where i'm heading so tell us how you built your progress you went from austin out um out of state for for cash flow how, yeah how so you... um yeah so so as i was saying earlier it got to the point where i couldn't buy any more properties here and i, I wanted the cash flow and i wanted the cash flow of the rental property so i got on the internet and uh, I basically learned from other people through Bigger Pockets. Bigger Pockets was definitely a big motivator and source of knowledge that I used in order to, to start doing what I was doing. And I started researching other markets, you know, different cities, and you know, I had picked my own criteria. There was a few critical criteria that I needed in order to pick a different market. And, and the number one criteria was I wanted to go to a city that had an increasing population. And I also wanted to pick a city that had a diverse economy and a growing economy. And, you know, the cities that I chose have exactly that. And that's why I'm buying in those two cities. And those are Indianapolis and Kansas City. So it, it took me a while to pull the trigger. You know, it was months and months of research. And I flew out there, checked it all out, met all kinds of contacts, even went to a real estate investing club, met a bunch of local local investors. Just, you know, I went all out because I wanted to make sure I did it right and I wasn't buying a bud or working with anybody bad. And and that's kind of how I did it. You know, I just I, I jumped in head first and just rolled with it. Did you go with a turnkey provider? Yeah, yeah, but I, ha I did go with a turnkey provider. Um, I, fa I had I had taken a tour with four different providers who were showing me houses around Indianapolis, and eventually it came to the point where one of them just stood out more than the others. They had the best product, the best personalities, the best property management, and that's who I ended up going with for my first one. And to this day, I second one from them and I'm, I'm trying to buy a third one from them really soon actually so how long before the first purchase did you kind of test out the waters before in your mind you were convinced this is kind of legitimate it's working and I'm, I'm meeting my criteria so I want to build my portfolio and continue here yeah well you know because it's properties that I buy you know I have my own strategies I, I buy these C-class properties 
They're anywhere from 50 to 70K range. They rent out anywhere from $800 to $1,000. And because I picked that strategy, you know, they require smaller down payments, you know, when you're dealing with houses of that size. So after my first one, it was probably about four months after that I bought my second one. You're able to get loans on, on these properties that are kind of sub $100,000? Yeah, I, I got I did my research and ended up finding a lender who provides conventional loans, you know, th- talking about 30-year fixed at whatever the going rate is at that time for loans under 50k. Matter of fact, he doesn't even have a limit. There's no there's no limit. There's no loan limit. So, I feel really lucky that I found this guy and that's who I've used. You know, he's he's my go-to lender and and he's how I'm going to buy the next cheap properties. That's awesome that you were able to do that. And for listeners who are not too familiar with investing in real estate or in that space, uh, typically what I found is a lot of the conventional big bank lenders are not willing to uh, issue out these 30-year fixed loans on on properties that are below a certain threshold. So, it, Oh, yeah, that's rare. I mean... I spoke to dozens of lenders, man. I got turned down a bunch of times, and I only found one that can do what what I need him to do, and I feel blessed. You know, like this guy is coming through for me, and now I've built a relationship with him where he just wants to give me loans. You know, he's he's waiting for my next one to come in. Like the guy just wants to give me loans. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a good relationship you have there with your lender. And once you get past 10, what I've heard from other people, what they do is they look for a portfolio lender to build their uh, ever-expanding portfolio at that point. And once you have 10 rentals and good cash flow, that process should, shouldn't be too difficult. Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard of that and I've, I've looked into that. And what I don't like about that is once you start dealing with these portfolio lenders, the kind of loans that you get, they're commercial loans. So most of them are five five-year arms, which, you know, means in five years, you're going to have to refinance and get another five-year arm, you know, and, and that whole idea just then strike well with me. You know, I don't like the idea of, of having to do that. I, don't, I have no idea what's going to happen in five years, you, you, you know, and so right now I'm kind of just like, hey, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get into a portfolio loan, but I might not have to. Because if I have ten properties and I have I, I start paying off the mortgage and all on all of them, there's a very good chance that ten just might be my limit. I mean, if I'm making enough passive income off of ten paid off properties t- to live, then that might just be where I stop. You know, once I hit ten, I'll just I'll just start paying off the mortgages on all of them. Yeah, that that definitely sounds like a, a plan right there. And what some people do is they actually just use some of the accumulated cash flow and they start paying down one and then once one is paid off that frees up another loan and you can kind of just recycle that process at that point or you could just go directly into commercial properties and start looking for apartments so that's the beauty of real estate again is there there's no limit right it's up to your imagination your creativity your goals your ambition some people are happy. I mean, for me, I have an ownership stake in eight properties. I'm pretty content with that. I, I really don't actually have any desire at this time to expand beyond that. But a lot of people, you know, they want um, 800 units and they they say they won't stop until they make that dream a reality. And, you know, all I can say is more power to you if that's what you want, you know, go at it. Real estate, um, 
you know, it's, it's just such a great vehicle to allow people that opportunity to reach their dreams. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. There's a vast market of real estate um, endeavors out there, and you can do anything you want. And you're right. I mean, I, if I wanted to buy 100 properties, I probably could. But I, I just, my main goal is just, hey, once I get financial independence, I'm set. You know, so I don't, I know I don't need 100 properties. You know, I don't know how many I'm going to need quite yet, but pretty sure once I get to the point where I'm making, you know, hundred something thousand dollars a year off passive income, I'm done. You know, there's no need for me to accumulate any more assets or passive income because I hit my bar. Do you think about plans for after early FI? I mean, you're, you're actually getting really close to hitting the 10 property mark. I'm sure you've got some great cash flow coming in already. Do you want to share with listeners what maybe some of, some of the plans, maybe a few years out or even very far out into the future, what those consist of or what your dreams are? Yeah, um, I mean, my dreams are waking up at 10 a.m. and not putting any clothes on until about 3 p.m. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's tough to say, man, because I've always been the kind of person that where I don't, I don't really dive that deep into future because just that's just not the, my personality that I have. But what I see myself doing now is really just concentrating on my blog you know believe it or not like eventually it's going to get to a point where would have enough income coming in and one of the things that i want to do is just write about it you know i enjoy i enjoy writing i enjoy having the blog i enjoy interacting with all these readers and you, you know i get a ton of comments and i think it's great like i would be totally happy with just doing that but i know that's not going to happen you know i i, I got there's other things going on, like right now, for example, and this is kind of going off topic, but in order in order for me to buy more investment properties, you know, I, I need to make more income. So one thing that I'm about to dive into right now is 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 selling products on Amazon, which is completely different like ballgame. I mean if that ends up going well for me, then I could see myself, hey, just selling stuff online and doing my blog. You know, it just depends on what happens. But yeah, what man. I know is I'm going to be I'm going to be working from home and just doing whatever I want. That's that's my long term goal. That that's actually something I've I've thought about myself. Basically, what to do, you know, post uh, corporate world life kind of thing. And blogging is definitely. It ranks very high up there. I mean, even for for me, even if it's not the most lucrative thing in the world, I, I just get a kick out of networking with people like yourself. And, you know, like a, a lot of people, I, I'm sure you feel the same way too. You have these readers who don't leave comments and, you know, if they don't email you as far as you know, they don't even exist. Just every now and then you get these emails from somebody and they'll say things like, uh, I'm a big fan of your blog. I, you know, I'm in the same area. I'd like to take you out for for coffee or for lunch or something. And I actually thought one of the coolest things that happened to me was when I announced on the blog that I was going to Tokyo. Uh, this was in the summer of 2014. Somebody reached out to me and said, hey, if you're in town, you know, we got to go. Um, we got to eat some, uh, some, some, some chicken, drink some beer and sing some karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> and that yeah, actually all I ended up happening. Really? Yeah, it was a, it was, yeah, it was a fun experience. That's awesome, man. And, and that's, that's that, you know, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, when you do something like blogging, like, it opens up your doors, it opens up the world, and especially as far as in the, net, the networking realm. I mean, it's great. Like, it's fun. 
And I don't care if I don't make a ton of money off it because I'm going to be making money off my real estate. Real estate is to get you to early five. It's to create this lifestyle. And after that, I mean, really, life should, I, you know, it should be about having fun and enjoying yourself, right? I mean, why else are we doing all this? I mean, counting properties and dollar, you know, like net worth. I mean, what satisfaction can a person really get from that, right? It's just the freedom that it buys you. That's what we're all fighting for. Yeah, no, absolutely, man, and and I'm all I'm all about that, you know. Right now, I I do do all that, but because I'm in that path to get to that point. Once I get to that point, hey, I'm done, you know, game over. No more having to track my net worth. No more having to, you know, it'll just it'll just end up becoming a lot more fun, and I feel like my life will just improve drastically. Well, I mean, not, I'm not saying that my life doesn't suck now. I mean. I mean, it isn't good now. I love my life. I'm having one of the greatest years of my life, actually. But, um, yeah, no, it's interesting to see what happens, man. Can't wait to find out. So up to this point with your investments, what would you say, um, you know, is both, first off, your, your biggest mistake that you've made and the most important learning experience that you've had, just to share with listeners who maybe are listening to this podcast and are like, I want to be just like Alex. I, I want to create this reality for myself. I want to invest in real estate and I want to achieve financial independence. Yeah. Um, well, to be honest, like there hasn't really been a whole lot of mistakes that I've done. And I think part of the reason for that is because I just, I'm super thorough about everything that I do. And I'm like, I would just research the crap out of everything. So that alone, that would be my main piece of advice. Like, you know, if you're interested in jumping into, into buying real estate or investing or just doing anything you know, to help you get to financial freedom, read up as much as you can about it, but don't do it for too long. I mean, there's only so much you can read, right? When you get to the point where you feel like you understand on paper how to do it all, pull the trigger, you know, go in and just do it. You know, that's one thing that happened to me, actually. When I first got into real estate, you know, there was a good two years that I was reading about it before I pulled the trigger. And I didn't learn anything. You know, I, I, I read everything I needed to learn the first six months. So the rest year and a half, it was just rereading the same things over and over again. Like, I wish I would have just jumped in sooner. You know, but people get scared. You know, you know there's always that fear of, of, of going through with it and that's my advice you know once once you feel that you know everything on paper it's time you know jump off the ledge and make it happen is there anything with your out-of-state properties that you can't do yourself or is there ever a time when you're like I wish this was local so I could take care of it or do you have your system and your network so you know fine-tuned and well-oiled machine that you know you can basically count on the teams and the the boots on the ground that you have over there to take care of what needs to get done yeah i mean when i first started buying out of state you know like I, i'm I'm, I'm, a, I'm what you would consider a handyman you know like i i do every all my own work around my own house you know i help my friends out and i just that's the kind of guy that i, that I am so when I started having these out-of-state properties and repairs would come up, you know, I'm like, oh man, I can fix that for 20 bucks, and then the property management company is charging me 60 bucks, you know. So that kind of stuff annoyed me at first, you know. Like it's always going to cost more money to have someone else do it, you know. But the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I've realized, hey, that's what I want because in the future, there's no way in hell I'm going to be doing that stuff, you know. Like I need to rely 
on someone else to to do that. And yeah, if you end up paying more for it, hey, that's part of the game. You got to calculate those numbers in your in your numbers and just and go with it. You know, so so that would be it. Really, is just you know when you're dealing with property management companies in different states, you're gonna get you're gonna get charged more than what you know you can fix it for yourself. So it's just a matter of accepting that fact and just rolling with it. I think that's actually a valuable point that you brought up as well. And, you know, for people like you and me, we started with rental properties locally and then we went out of state. So you really, you have this database, basically how much something should cost. But I think that's actually a a good mindset to have for somebody who's just purely focused on out of state. It's basically, I have to crunch my numbers when I purchase this thing. I have to over allocate and over budget for things like maintenance and vacancy and CapEx because the reality of the situation is if I'm not doing it myself, I'm probably not going to get the best deal. And that's just something you have to live with. I know that because I have that mentality and a lot of other out of state investors do as well, then you don't get stressed out and you don't get you know angry or agitated or any of those things because you kind of accepted that on day one and you already budgeted all that into your numbers so it's it still works out yeah no exactly and that's if you go out of state that's kind of just a thing that you're gonna have to accept you know so if you go into it from the beginning knowing that then you're gonna be fine so alex you're in both indianapolis and Kansas City, what would you say separates the two markets or are they actually very similar? Man, they are freakishly similar. It's kind of crazy, but they're almost like the same cities as far as, you know, from a third party perspective who doesn't live there. Um, one of them is colder than the other. That's pretty much <laughs> the only difference that I can see, but. The, the house, the price to rent ratios and the house prices and the property management companies, they're all pretty much the same. Like, I haven't really seen much difference between the two cities. So, um, like, for example, on my next purchase, which I'm probably going to be doing here in a month or two, I'm going to buy whatever house or what I'm going to buy in whatever market has the best deal for me. So, I'm totally okay with buying a house in Indianapolis or Kansas City. For me, it all comes down to who has the best deal when I'm looking. You know, so that's how I feel about those cities. I think they're both awesome cities to invest in. You know, they, they both are stable. You know, you can even go back into historical records during the real estate crash back in 2008 or 2009, whenever it was. Both of those markets didn't dip at all. They just flatlined. You know, like these markets are super stable. They both have always had increasing population since forever there's never been a year where they had where they've had a declining population and both of them just continue to grow economically like they're prime time cities for doing cash flow investing i love them both are there any other markets on your radar that you like as well do you think you're going to stick with these two or would you be open to expanding to possibly a third market outside of (laughs) yeah um the only other markets that I've looked into briefly and that I might entertain in the future would be Columbus, Ohio. And I looked into it. That is the only city in the whole state of Ohio that I would even consider going into. Is that where um, uh, Ohio State is located? Exactly. That's where Ohio State is located. 
Um, and the other market is Milwaukee. Milwaukee seems Milwaukee to be a pretty popular one these days. Yeah, and that's my concern about Milwaukee is it might be getting oversaturated with investors. But, you know, that's kind of long-term thinking. I might not ever even have to dip into that market. You know, it just, it just depends. Like deep down inside, I'm kind of hoping that the market here in Austin corrects itself so I can start buying here again. I, but that won't be for that won't be for a long time. I've got to say that you know it's kind of like it sounds like a pipe dream right now. That's kind of what I'm kind of hoping for in the Bay Area as well. I would like or love another opportunity, you know, just to dip in one last time. But I'm not gonna hold my hopes <laughs> out for that anytime soon. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, right now it's like we'd be fools to buy right now for. For investing it just it doesn't make sense you yeah know? just to give uh, folks some kind of context the price of a single family home in the bay area in a good location you could probably go out and buy a commercial apartment building somewhere in the midwest i don't think that's far-fetched to say that <laughs> no i think you're absolutely right that's pretty much exactly what it is and i'm sure it's not too uh you know too different from austin as well that that's a very high appreciating market yeah, it's just this. It's just it's been a hot market here for years, and it just it does not seem to be slowing down. So I mean, I love living here, but you know, buying here sucks. And that's why we go out of state, right? It's exactly why. So outside of real estate, Alex, are there any other investments you like, or is there anything else that you kind of dabble in? I know you said you you're, you're looking into selling some you know products on Amazon. Is, is there any um, like do you invest in stocks and and that kind of thing or? Yeah, um, you know, believe it or not, and I'm not trying to toot your own horn or anything, but you you got me on the whole gold train. Yeah, <laughs> I've, you know, gotten, I've been. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've gotten know, in I, trouble for that one with I, quite a number of people. I literally learned that whole industry from you, man. Like, ever since you and last year when you started writing about it, you know, I was like, oh man, this dude's crazy. Like, I mean, I was still reading your post, but I was like. No, there's no way I'm doing this. But the more and more, the more and more I read about it, the more and more it started making sense. I was like, man, wait, wait a minute, this guy is onto something. Let's just say the blog yeah. has not increased in popularity since I went down that that path. <laughs> yeah, you know what? But man, I'm telling you, Jay, you're gonna be a genius, man. Four years from now, people are gonna go back and be like, Jay called it, Jay knew it. You know what I mean? Like he bought at the right time, and you're gonna be sitting pretty, man. You know, like. That's how I see it, and that's why I, I want to jump on that gold train too. And I did. I I, I spent you know not a whole lot, you know five thousand dollars, about some gold mining shares, and I'm already up up thousand bucks on it just in the past month, you know. But I, I want to put more money into gold mining shares, and if I'm going to do it, like it's going to have to be this year because I do think that we bottomed out already, and this is just pure speculation. But I think for the next five, six years, man, this is going to be going up. And I want to be on that train. You know, I want to be on that ride. I want to, I want to ride that money up so that five years from now, whenever I think it's peaking, I'll just get rid of it. And you know what I'm going to do when I get rid of it? I'm going to use that money to buy another rental property. I, I love your thinking, Alex, and you know I, I, I got to say like um, you know that that's exactly how I look at this play. It's, it, it is pure speculation. It's nothing 
at all like what we're doing with these rental properties and i just kind of want to make that clear for all the listeners um you know when you and me we're talking about rental properties and cash flow i mean that's your foundation right there that's how you're gonna get to early financial independence this whole gold thing you know the way i look at it is yes i believe in it i believe in the thesis i think it's going to go up but this is just speculation this is money that you know if, if it doesn't work out it's not going to decimate me or you know make me have to change course exactly. and, and all that thing and you know i would never ever encourage anyone to you know just um put all their life savings into gold mining stocks because that's all it is is it's speculation it's a very volatile sector as as you've kind of noted the last month you know one minute it's down 50 percent, the next minute it's up 40 percent. you i mean you have to have a really strong stomach to uh you know like uh withstand that type of volatility and that's not the makings of a very solid foundation at all yeah, and I completely agree with that. And one thing about my personality is, you know, I've always been a gambler. You know, even when I was in high school, I swear I was I was a blackjack dealer, and I was just dealing to my friends, trying to make money gambling. And that's just kind of the nature that I've always had is to gamble. And this this I would consider a gamble, but you know, in my opinion, I think it's a pretty safe gamble. I mean, I don't know how much lower it can go, but I know that eventually it's going to have to go back up. Yeah, it might take a few years. But I don't know. It seems it seems pretty solid to me. But I definitely would not recommend anyone doing this. You know, unless you have that gambler type instinct and you got some money to play around with. Definitely, I guess the only point I would add is you know the the term gambling. It is kind of relative because you know if you're somebody who let's say you invest in Johnson and Johnson, Procter Gamble, these really you know super blue chip large caps that are just beyond stable. They issue you know a dividend every quarter like clockwork. Well, you know, if you look at gold mining stocks from that perspective, yes, it's very much like gambling. But, you know, you could actually, uh, uh, you know, expand this kind of comparison one step further. You know, somebody who trades in options or futures or something, I mean, to me, that's even a higher degree of gambling because with options, you have to deal with, yeah. you know, time expiration and they can expire worthless. At least, you know, if you buy, buy an, uh, a gold fund like GDX or GDXJ or something, you know, th those companies aren't going to expire. You're going to hold shares in them. So even though the gold thesis might take time to play out, at least, you know, from that sense, it is a little, you know what I'm saying? It, it is gambling, but it's it's yeah. not the most destructive, it's dangerous not, It's form. not gambling in a sense where, hey, you know, you put all your money down in black or red, you either win or you lose. Exactly. You know, I, I mean, with this, with this, I kind of feel like, Hey, if you just write it out, eventually you're gonna win. So it's not really technically a gamble in that sense, but you know, I, I would say more it's it's more of a you know high risk yes type investment vehicle. Yeah. So so you got me on that train, and you know, I, like I said, I don't have a ton of money into it, but I really like the idea of it. You know, and that that makes me happy. But on top of that, you know, this whole Amazon thing. Let me just give you a, a quick brief rundown of what I'm what I'm trying to do here. My plan is to buy. A product in bulk from China, a Chinese manufacturer. I'm going to put my own logo on it. I'm, going to, I'm actually going to make some additional modifications to the product so that it's different from anything else that's currently being sold on Amazon. I'm going to have it shipped here and to Amazon fulfillment centers. I'm going to list it on Amazon on Amazon Prime and just and sell them. You know, there's. I've read blogs and I've been, I mean, for the past month, I've been reading so much about it. There's people making tens of thousands of dollars per month in profit from doing stuff like this. And I think this is something that I can do successfully. 
if I if I put you know if I give it a hundred percent. So that's kind of like a little side thing that I'm doing right now. Um, I'm in, in the process of negotiating with a bunch of um, suppliers from China. I'm waiting for some samples to come in. But I would imagine two months from now, I'm going to have some products on Amazon being sold. And I'm going to talk about it all on my blog. So if you're interested in hearing how that plays out, man, trust me, I'm, I'm going to write about it. You know, win, lose, or fail, the world's going to know. Oh, I'll be following very closely. Sounds like it's going to be a really exciting 2016 for you. Uh, with that said, are there any <laughs> final words you want to leave with listeners? Yeah, I just want to say um, for everybody out there, you know, if you if you have any questions for me, or you know, if you want to get into you know more details about anything that I talk about that or that I've spoken about in this podcast, just feel free to reach out to me. You know, just go to my blog, Cashflow Diaries, and just go to the contact section section and shoot me an email. I'm more than happy to talk with you. And you know, I, I thrive on on getting feedback from people. So just you know, don't be shy. Alex, it was great having you on the podcast and hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime soon. And thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks a lot, Jay. I'll talk to you soon.